stories, real stories from real midwives. This is Head On View. Day in the life. <laughs> she said, What? These are our stories. Hello, and welcome to Head On View. I'm Carly. This is Laura. And today we have a success because I've remembered to press record. Yes. Well, today we thought we would have a little chat about induction. I guess this is mainly based off the amount of people that um, I see for inductions. And one, I really don't know why they're having an induction or two, don't even really understand the process. And then they come in and it's a bit overwhelming and it's like, you know, I think it's good. Good to be educated. Good to know what you're up for. Definitely. Yeah. So many, how many women do you think actually know why they're being induced? Really? Mm. Not many. Yeah, not many. In my experience, I don't think that there seems to be more inductions. I still used to see a lot of inductions in the public system and I see a lot in the private system. It's that type of thing, if you're working on a day shift, Monday to Friday, you know you're generally either doing an elective Caesar or you're doing a planned induction. The hospital I work in now is probably has the mindset of a private hospital, as in that there's a lot of our public patients that come in through their private obstetrician. We have a lot of that. And I think a lot of women are largely misinformed or given inductions because it's easier or they've asked for one. Yeah. They've just said, I really want this baby to be born. Or they, you know, it says like social reasons or maternal choice. Okay. That's fine. Women are allowed to have the choice about their mode of birth and how it's going to happen. But do they actually know, have they actually been told what happens when you get induced? No, I think a lot of people aren't really educated on, what's going to happen in terms of the risk factors um, and, you know, like the path that we see a lot of inductions go down. So Google has come on my side. So rate of induction, but this is just for people giving birth for like the first time. It's pretty high. So this was in 2018, 45.3%. And this is in Australia. That's basically, well, let's just say 50% because, I mean, it's pretty close. Yeah, which is high. There are legitimate reasons <laughs> to be induced, obviously. So, I mean, there's medical reasons. Say, for example, um, got preeclampsia or hypertension. Okay, that's uh, I feel that's sort of like the main reasons. Or if you've ruptured your membranes but haven't gone into labour and it's depending on what hospital you go to or what doctor or midwife will depend how long they let you sit with ruptured membranes, which is fine. You can't stay like that forever and, you know, not go into labour and it also depends on your gestation but you know there's a lot of things that come into play with that generally women don't know what questions to ask so I think if you're being offered an induction you should stop and say why am I having an induction like what are the reasons for my induction yeah and if you don't like the answer that you're being given then ask someone else but also what what are the alternatives? Like ask them what are the what are the alternatives? So if they're saying we need to induce you, okay, why? Are are there any other options? Can I possibly wait another week? Can I wait another three days? Can I see, you know, if I go into labor naturally? Yeah. Like what are the what are the things I can do to help my body 
get into yeah. labor before. And I, I'm sure there are doctors and midwives and people out there that would say, I give women these options. I tell women, but they just are like, no, I just want this baby out now. You know, I've seen women come in and they just say, you know, I was just sick. I was just sick of being pregnant. I wanted this induction because I want baby out now. Okay, fine. That's your choice. Um, as long as you're educated and that's going on, then that's your choice. Like, I guess yeah. we're lucky enough that, and I guess if you um can afford it, <laughs> that you can see a private doctor and you can make that choice. Do you think it stems from, and this is like completely, it might be not, might not make any sense, but it almost sounds like, you know, when you said women are saying like, I'm just sick of being pregnant. It almost comes from what society expects of women and pregnancy and what we're supposed to put up with. And it's almost like a negative viewpoint, like, you know, oh, I feel, and I remember being pregnant. You're like fat and tired and hot and you can't sleep and you're nauseated. And okay. So those things combined make you feel like shit, right? We don't live in a society where it's, there's a positive connotation to end of pregnancy. You know, that the very end, well, you know, this is the part where your baby is growing, you know, their lungs are more mature. They've got more surfactant forming on their lungs they're developing and yeah if they actually knew what that meant if someone said okay but this is the benefits for your baby and you know what they still might want to be <laughs> from my experience of the public system I can't imagine someone coming in and saying I'm sick of you know because they're just feeling crappy not you know but mentally and physically they're fine but they're just over it I can't imagine a doctor saying, and this is just my experience in the public system, saying, okay, cool, let's book you in for an induction then. You you work in birthing. Um, yeah. I do not. So I'm, I'm sure there's people listening that will be like, so induction means just starting labor, right? So, no, there's a lot of other things that come with it. But yeah. I reckon you could probably okay. tell so- us. So what happened? Generally, the first, okay, so one of the more minor procedures, which a lot of ladies may have this procedure done and not even realize it's a procedure. So a stretch and sweep is what um, is one of the most minor procedures. So midwives will do it when you just go to see them in the room. You know, maybe you're 40 weeks, 41 weeks, might have a stretch and sweep. Um, sometimes when you have a vaginal exam, the midwife or the doctor will be like, oh, yeah, I just gave a stretch and sweep. Okay, so that's actually a procedure which you're meant to ask for permission for, but it does happen. So when I say stretch and sweep, essentially that is, it's like a vaginal exam um, because they're popping their, and they're just trying to pop their fingers inside the cervix and stretch it out. It's just, it is what it is, what it sounds like. So that's kind of one of the more very basic procedures and then other than that you would go so often what would happen is before the morning of your induction they like to start inductions in the morning because they can take a long time you would normally come in the night before and depending on what your cervix is doing you may have a balloon catheter which is essentially just a a, so it's like a thin tube inserted in your cervix and then filled with water to try and stretch out your cervix the balloon's sitting 
on the cervix. Yeah, and so the pressure is meant to like soften and open your cervix and that generally, if you come in, you know, often you'd come in about 5 o'clock, something like that, 5 p.m. in the afternoon, you'd have it in overnight unless it falls out or, um, yeah, or it'll just get taken out in the morning it's still in there. The other things that you might have is either a, like a gel, like a prostin gel, which they pop in. It's just like a, they just like shoot it up there really. Sort of looks like a tampon applicator. You know when you had those tampons with the applicator? Or there's one called Servadil and that is just like a little tampon and it's just got the gel on the tampon and that's just popped in. And yeah, and those are like hormones that your body would naturally make, but they're hormones that have been put in to try and make your cervix kick into action. Yeah, some women go into labor during, I think that's a good thing to remember is that some women, if they're staying overnight in hospital and they've had either of these procedures done, whether it's gel or cervidil or the balloon, some women go into labor. Yeah, they do. They do. Some women do and some women don't. And unfortunately, you cannot look at someone or even look at their history and say, you are going to be someone that this affects and you're like, you, you just, you really can't tell. I had a prime bit once, the first time mum have a balloon put in. I was on a night shift on the ward and she had a balloon put in. Two hours later, we had to take her to birth suite. I was like, what? But she's a primate. Like she. Yeah. You always get the people who go, go against the norm. So just as well once you are having these um, procedures done you will have to be monitored too so you will have a ctg and that's where they pop the little straps around and monitor bubby's heart rate to see how they are reacting because some babies will not like will not like this because you know they're, they're waiting for to go into it naturally and they're not happy about us forcing it on them if you have contractions or pain or anything like that, don't worry about it. Just remember that they will continue to monitor you. You know, midwives, we give people pain relief. We don't <laughs> let you sit there. And that can often settle the contractions. But if they continue, we'll just keep monitoring you. Now, if this is all fine, you've slept overnight or had a little bit of sleep, you still, you're still not going into labor. Generally, what will happen in the morning is that you would have your membranes broken. Um, so to break the waters, that's the same as in, so like a vaginal exam again, and either they would use, and midwives or doctors can do this, either, or, um, either they would use an amni hook, which I guess the best way to describe it, it sort of looks like a flat knitting needle. Yeah. Like just a flap with a little hook on to break the water. Or the other one is called an amnicot and that's like a little, looks like a little thimble that you just pop on your finger and that has a little hook on your finger. So overall. So once your waters are broken, then we would hang up what we call syntocinin and that is just like synthetic hormone that you would make normally. Yeah. I think in America they call it, call it pictosin. Is it pictosin or? something like that i don't know just in case there's someone from that side of the world listening yeah. <laughs> but same time um so once you are on and having this drip that means you have to be continuously monitored so you will be on the ctg but we do have everywhere i can't believe anywhere wouldn't have wireless wireless monitoring 
I hope everyone would have wires on train. So that means that if you want to get up and move around, you can. And I know it's hard when you've basically got straps around you, you've got a drip in your arm. Um, it definitely does make you more inclined to feel like, oh, I need, you know, it's hard to move. But just know that you have the option still if you want to move that you will have a midwife there and you say to your midwife and they will help you facilitate that. But everyone um, who I've spoke to who has had normal and induction has reported and said that induction is more painful. Oh, 100%. I had an induction with my first. I had like my water broke, nothing happened for 24 hours. Um, so they induced me and I went from hardly any contractions to like a lot. Yeah. With my second, I went into labor naturally. And I still to this day think about her labor and my contractions with like, I was like, oh, I remember that. I really like, okay, yes, it was painful, but I enjoyed it. Like it was like there was really good positive feelings about it because it just happened naturally. So 100% it's inductions are worse. But I have, I have heard women say the opposites. Yeah, I guess it's it's all individual, isn't it? Your response to being prepared for the feeling of contractions as opposed yeah. to not being prepared for them, maybe. But all the same pain relief options are still are still there for you. So there's still the gas, morphine, um, you know, epidural. I think the cascade stems from the fact that one, it's so much more painful, and two, that it's a lot harder to move around. So People often do end up in the bed, which straight away slows down your labor. It's more painful. So then you end up having to get an epidural because you're just like, oh, my God, I, this is insane. I can't cope with this. And I think there's an element of um, fear or being or unknown, like you're, you're in a different place. You're not in your own house or your yeah. own. You're in, you're in like a medical place or a medical mm-hmm. establishment there's a little bit of unknown you feel like maybe you've lost a little bit of control over the situation and all of those feelings can often increase your anxiety and that can increase different responses to pain and I've had a lot of women say this to me and I'm sure you've heard this too Carly is that whatever the midwives and doctors say like I trust them I just I trust them I you know whatever's safest for me and the baby I feel like midwives especially we're not not intentionally ever going to tell you something that's going to harm you, right? No, but we could we could all have different opinions ourselves. So if people say to me, oh, what would you do? And I'm like, well, just because this is something I would do doesn't mean it's right for you because what's right for yeah, me exactly. is yeah. not necessarily what's right for you because you know yourself, you know you're like, so I, I get it sort of why people say that, but I also find it a little bit frustrating as well. I think I'm I'm the same as you, Carly. I find that really difficult to, like, I find it really difficult to accept because maybe because, and I wasn't a midwife with my second um, child either, but I was so involved and so active in my my pregnancy and my labor and my my like I had a fucking opinion for everything. And even though I'm, that was probably annoying for a, a lot of the medical people around me. I didn't give a shit. I was like, I don't care. This is your job. Do your job. I don't want this. Do you? I'm telling you I don't want this. Do your job. So that was me, not as a midwife, but now as a midwife, when we have women who are like, you know, and I now I work in an area where women are very informed, very educated, and ask lots of questions. 
I'm like, oh, good. They're asking questions. They're not just like whatever's safest for me and the baby. Hmm. Of course, we want you and your baby to be safe. But we also want, you know, I want women, and I'm sure you feel the same. I want women to like ask questions and and also sort of understand what's happening to their body. So I guess from this, like, what can you do? So you have to have induction, you know, whatever. You have to have it. No choice. This is, I mean, you always have a choice, but <laughs> at some point there will be like, it's actually safer to have the induction to not have the induction. So what can you do? So I think I would always say, try and stay active. This is what your midwife is there for. Get them to help you in staying active, as in walking around, Get those wireless monitors on. You can still get in the shower. That's fine. Get the Fitbo in there. If you need a rest, it's fine. Get on the bed, but don't lie flat on your back. Go on your side or even like up on your knees with your head like over the bed and try and walk around. And if it gets to the point that the pain is, and you know, I get that. If you're just like, oh my God, this is, I need an epidural. That's fine. You need an epidural. Okay. But there's still options when you have an epidural. You don't have to just lie flat on your back. You can still lie on your side, get a peanut ball. Um, most people, not everyone, I don't really see those real dense epidurals anymore where people, you know, can't even feel their legs or move. So it sort of depends where you work. So where I work currently, the epidurals are just like a continuous infusion. Um, but that's still, but it's still not that super dense one. It's not, we don't have the joys that they do in Europe of walking epidurals, which are great. Um, I've never seen a walking epidural here ever, never. And so people haven't even heard of it. Um, and then I've worked in places where it's like a PCA. So basically they have a very small infusion running in the background. And then when you want more, you press a button and top it up yourself. So normally though, you still have enough movement in your legs that you can still do things like get in positions like get on all fours, kneeling, because that's going to help gravity. That's going to help when you're, you know, trying to push the baby out. Um, Because a lot of things that we do see is instrumental. So because one, you know, we've caused this labor and then we've got someone had an epidural and now they're like lying in the bed and the baby's trying to go uphill. Um, so you see a lot more things like bontus and forceps, which can then also mean like epizes or larger tears. This is all from like what you're talking about is it that it's that classic cascade of intervention. You start with an induction. The induction's more painful than you thought it would be. So it causes you to have the epidural and yeah. And then, you know, once the epidural's in, you know, you can't, you can't feel the push. You can't, you know, you've lost control of your birth. Essentially. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But you do still have rights and you do still have options. Talk to your midwife what you can still do. So you can still get into those different positions. You can still lessen your risks of the tears. They can still use like a warm compress on your peri and that, you know, there are options. So I don't want people to ever feel like that this isn't their birth like it's been handed over to you know and someone else is in control and I think if women knew all of this about inductions then they would be more likely to make a birth plan or to ask more questions or to say I really like an epidural but I'd like to be able to do this this and this in my epidural so can yeah can I can I make sure that it's not like a really 
dense epidural or, you know, I want to avoid having an assisted birth. I don't want a von or for, you know, if women knew these things, mm. then they could ask the questions, but they don't know. I honestly things. think position, position is one of the main, I, I, I don't know if what the actual facts are, but just from my experience, it feels like the, the position that you're in, as in when you're just laying in bed, that is not the most ideal way for baby to birth. Oh, yeah, because the babies, yeah. you're pushing like the babies across gravity. When you go to the toilet, you don't lay down to go to the toilet, do you? Mm. It's the same muscles in the same area. Exactly. So I think that one of the big thing is, yeah, have an epidural, but um, see, you know, if you need a little rest for an hour or two, go for it. Have a nap for an hour or two. Come back with some energy renewed. And then, yeah. yeah, get yourself into some good positions. Like that's what your midwife is there for. Often it does feel like when you have someone in epidural, you know, you know, you have to do so many obs and so much paperwork and you do sort of feel like, oh, I'm just just checking blood pressure, I'm doing dermatones, I'm putting the scent up every half hour and you're like, oh. But if you have a woman who's like, oh, yeah, I actually want to do this, and you'll be like, oh, great, I can still I can still midwife. There are failed inductions of labourers, what, what, what we call the failed induction. Um, that end up in emergency cesareans and that happens and induction or not you can end up in a cesarean um, to be fair but you're more likely to end up one of the reasons that can happen is what we call like overstimulation or hyperstimulation of the uterus so basically your uterus is having too many contractions now this can also happen in normal labor i haven't seen it as much in labor that's not been induced so if that does happen is your midwife should be like either stopping the sin or turning it right down until things settle down but then what happens is sometimes you you know they're turning this hormone on and off on and off on and off and seeing how your body's reacting sometimes this puts the baby into distress because they're like okay we're having contractions no we're not now we are no we're not so it can be Either, you know, your body's not happy or it turns out that your baby's not happy and then they start dropping their heart rate and they're not happy and if your cervix isn't dilated enough, it's it's that point where it's like, okay, well, we can't wait because, you know, this baby is, needs to be better on the outside so then you end up emergency Caesar. You never want people to be scared into doing things but I just think it's important for people to understand the risks and the benefits and to know what questions to ask and to understand what's happening to their body and why. Yes, definitely. And I think the more that women ask these questions and, you know, don't be afraid to say to your midwife or your doctor, whoever's looking after you, if you have risk factors for an induction, you know, you've got a small baby on board or baby's not growing so well, or you've got diabetes or they think your baby's really big. There's all sorts of different reasons. You have to ask why, ask why you're being induced. Um, and like Carly was saying, alternatives. So what if I do continue the pregnancy? What are the risks? So what are the risks for induction? What are the risks if I try and labor naturally? And most obstetricians will will take into consideration or hopefully they all should what you want but um and and then look at it you know if you're saying I really want a vaginal birth but you've got like severe preeclampsia you know of course they're going to be like well this is not ideal because you know of the situation but if it's you know a situation where they're like okay maybe it'd be good to have induction but 
you know, you could, you, you know, often they could be like, oh, the induction could fall any time between these two weeks. And if that's the case and you would prefer to uh, then say, okay, well, can we wait to the end of this two weeks instead of the start? And a lot of it, and I know this is not ideal, but a lot of it comes down to staffing issues as well, which is an awful thing, which is a terrible thing. But but it does because to be safe, when you're being induced, you should have one-on-one care, like a labour, you should have one-on-one care. And if, you know, if there's not enough staff on and, you know, and they're trying to, you've got all these doctors trying to book an induction, they have to look at what staff are on. And if their example is already like three inductions booked that day, they can't book another one in because there literally wouldn't be anyone to look after you. And it wouldn't be so, you know, and you have to make allowances as well and think, okay, well, we could have people just walking in in labour. So you can't fill a place up with booked inductions. Because inductions can go for a long time and they can take over, you know, the morning shift and the afternoon yeah. shift and the overnight shift. And and then come back in and they're still there the next morning. It's the worst. I remember when that used to happen and they'd just be like, the, the, I remember the woman would just look at you like, oh, my God, they'd be happy to see you, you but yeah. at the same time. <laughs> They're like, why are you back? <laughs> You've like gone and like done sport and had dinner and had a glass of wine and a full sleep and you come back and she's still sitting there. <laughs> this is why I don't work in birthing, Carly. This is why I don't do birthing. <laughs> I'll leave it to you. I feel like we've rambled on a little bit, but I hope we've given. <laughs> no, no, I think we did well. We, re- we pressed record this time. Yeah, a little bit of insight. So I think the main the main thing is ask questions. Why am I being induced? What type of induction will I need to have? What is the procedures? What are the risk factors for me? What are the alternatives? Can I wait? Is there is there a time I can I can wait? And then you know you've got all the information you can wait and then be vocal in the actual induction. If you want to get up and walk around, then tell your midwife that and they will do everything they can to facilitate. Don't be afraid to make a birth plan, even if you're having a planned induction, a planned season, you know, always make, you know, once you've figured out, you know, what's happening and you feel informed and you can make, you can write a birth plan. You can say like, I'd like to be able to move around, even if I'm being monitored or even if I've chosen epidural or, you know, like give me options, please. Yes, advocate, advocate for yourself. And then once you tell your midwife what you want, then that's her job as well to advocate for you. And if you have a midwife that you don't feel is advocating for you, I've had patients ask for other midwives. I've heard of that before. And they can. And I think I've always seen that facilitated. I've never, I've never, ever seen um, the midwife in charge say, well, that you know bad luck you have to have you have to have this midwife I've always yeah, seen that no, facilitated as in I've always seen them just switch switch you out with you know it's not ideal that you ha- you have to do that but some people you're just not going to gel with like that's just life you're, you're not going to gel with everyone if you don't trust your midwife or your care provider whoever's looking after you if you don't trust them you're not going to enjoy your experience if you don't have any trust in that person how are you going to enjoy your labor and how you're going to trust that they are doing the best for you and I know it might seem hard or harsh but I yes at the end of the day you've got to think well this is this is about me and 
what I want. Be, be a little bit selfish. I'm sure they would know as well. Like your midwife, if they weren't gelling, they would probably be thinking, oh, this is not oh, good. You know, they would know. Like when there's someone you're working with and yeah. even like postnatally or something, and I do a lot of home visiting and there's yeah. just a weird household or something and I'm just like, ugh. No, no one is totally oblivious <laughs> and going to think, oh, that was going fabulous. They're just like, okay, well, that didn't work for every reason. Like, let's switch out. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I'm so glad we pressed record this time, Carla. Oh, I know. Me too. (laughs) All right. I think, well, I guess, you know, if anyone's had an induction out there and wants to share their stories and experience, get in touch. We love a guest. Because I'm sure there's people out there who have had really positive experiences or a really negative one, and we'd like to hear both or even the in-betweens are good, you know, like something. It's always nice having feedback from people and just, them saying oh well this is what my midwife did or didn't do and this is what I would have liked them to do or this is what they did and was awful this is what they did and it's great um because that's it's not a job you always get this sort of immediate feedback or sometimes people are on such a high after birth they're like oh thank you and then afterwards they're like well actually no that was shit we're happy to keep people anonymous. You know, you can just send in a message if you want and we're happy to read your story. Done. All right. Well, anyway, so as I said, drop us a message. Give us a follow if you're not following us. Head on View Podcast. We are on Instagram. Huh? All that jazz. All right. And I guess that's it. We're out. And we Bye. will see you next time. Bye. And be sure to tune in next time for more laughs, thrills and real stories from Real Midwives on Head On View. I didn't know it was still recording.